This is our first time getting together. Yes, it is. Um, I've seen you. I've watched your class. Once I even recorded some of your class because you're doing right here. Yeah, you saw me. Maybe yeah. you don't remember, but we yeah. were doing that then. And then I've seen some of the stuff that you've done. I haven't seen any of your movies yet, mm -hmm. but I know that you're in a lot. You've been in a lot of commercials. You've done movies as well, and you do your own choreography. Mm -hmm. And I think you're even a director. That's all the stuff you're doing there. Tell me a little bit about where you're from. Tell me your background. Okay. Um, originally, I was born in Detroit. So I'm from Detroit. And then I lived in Detroit until I was about maybe 10 years old or so. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then I moved up to a suburb of Lansing. It's called Okemos. So, and that was actually kind of my first experience with, with culture shock, even though it was within America, right? Because okay. where I was in, in Detroit was just all black. Oh, I got you. Okay, okay. So you mean getting outside of that sphere? Okay. Exactly, and then moving into another sphere where people are just very different. How you know? old were you when this happened? That's when I was about ten. So you almost had finished. What they say, psychologists say, by the time you're twelve, your emotional settings already set up. Yeah. So just before you had two more years. Yeah. You were thrown into a whole different basket. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, which was it was very challenging. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't that people were like particularly meaner or anything like that. It was just it was just very different, and people like they they, you know, um, especially because where I was from in Detroit, and you know, at that time, people didn't were like wear super super nice clothes. Not kids, right? Okay. You know, right. and then where we went in the suburbs, like everybody was very affluent, and okay. they dressed like they were affluent. Even the kids. Yeah, even the kids, I right? Got you. And like, I just wasn't, you know, and you had people that had like $100 Nikes, right? I got you. Like back in the day, now, now yeah. all Nikes are like 100 bucks, right? right, right but right. like back then, like, like that just wasn't something that I was used to. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, my, I wasn't dressed like that, you know? Okay. And I mean, and, and that wasn't the only thing. It was just, there was a lot of cultural differences, but right. that was my first time that I kind of became aware of the fact that when you go to different places, there's a, difference. there's a difference. People are different, they think different, they operate different, they kind of have different life philosophies. Because your whole world was completely different before then. You saw it on TV, but it wasn't real. It wasn't real. That's, that happened to me as well. Yeah. And I was a gymnast. Mm -hmm. So tell me about, okay, so when you grew up, you're the only child, or do you have brothers no, and sisters? No, I'm the youngest of six. Youngest of six. Youngest of six. I got four older sisters and one older brother. Same mom and dad? Um, three of my sisters have a different mother. One of my sisters has a different father. Okay. And just me and my brother, the, the bottom two, have the same parents. All right. Yeah. Who are you close with? That's a good question. I was, like with my older sisters, most of them were just gone for most of my life. How many years different? Like my oldest sister is about 15 years older. Gotcha. So different she, 15 years old, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, she was, she was studying in London. I had another sister who had married into the military, so she was in Okinawa. My, one of my other sisters went to LA to try to be an actress. You know, I had another sister that was in Philly. So mm -hmm. the youngest sister was around for a lot of my childhood. Um, the other ones, they, they just, you know, I mean, I talked to them on the phone, you know, but that, other than that, I just didn't see them very much right. when I was coming up. Okay. What'd your parents do? What'd your mom and dad do? So my father. Well, it, you know, he's, he did a range of different things okay. near near the end of his life. He was mainly a peace activist mm -hmm. uh, and in particular, an African-American uh, health care activist. Mm -hmm. My mother was a doctor. She did occupational medicine. So she was a doctor for um, for Ford okay. and she dealt with on the job related injuries. So which is interesting because that actually connects to what I'm doing now, because right. one of the things that I do is I run a company called Strong Body Japan. 
And one of our biggest things is desk work injury prevention and kind of total back care because we're living in a time where about 80% of people are suffering from back problems okay. and they're largely avoidable. Okay. It's just that people just don't know how and they're doing right. all these different things every day that are causing all these issues in their backs. Right. I mean, they just don't know that they're doing them. Isn't one of the biggest things they're doing is making their abdominal muscles weak? Yes. <laughs> that's you know, a big not, one. Not realizing that's what supports your spine? Yeah, that's a big one. Another big one is cell phones. What? Because when you're on your cell phone, most people will tilt their head 15 degrees forward when they're looking at their cell phone. Mm -hmm. And tilting your head 15 degrees forward puts 27 pounds of pressure on your lower back. What? And most people don't know that. So they'll sit and they'll look at their phone like this for hours, and it's like wearing a 30-pound backpack. It's horrible for your back. And most people don't know that. Wow, okay, well let's get back to, let's get back to your family now, because okay. the sad thing that you told me, both of your parents have dece are deceased. Yeah, yeah, both How of my parents How old were you when that happened? I was 35 when I lost my dad. Okay. And then after that, um, you know, my mom was one of those people that she lived for my dad. You oh, know? so they were and really they, close. They were real, real close. And then she's not, she wasn't so physically strong, so okay. after, you know, he passed, then, you know, it was just a matter of a few years before she kind of went after Okay. Right. And you would think that like, I mean, in one respect, I feel blessed because there's a lot of people that don't, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of people in the African-American community that never even get to have a two-parent family. Talk to it's me. a lot of us that never Talk get that. That's right. That's right. You had that. And I had that. Like, and I had that all the way to adulthood, which was amazing, right? Which is right. way better than a lot of people. That's right. That's right. But at the same time, like you still, you know, even as an adult, there's so many times you're like, man, I wish I could just ask my dad. Gotcha, you know, I just gotcha. wish I had my dad, like, yeah. dad, how, especially because I'm trying to raise a son now, right? It's like, dad, how do I handle this? Mm -hmm. Or what does this mean? Or like, when my son does this, does that mean that? Or does it mean this? You know, and you that's just right, don't, right. they're just not there. So I feel like I'm just kind of, you know, you're just trying to navigate your way through things, just figuring things out on your own. Are you close with your brother? Yeah, me and my brother, we're, we're cool. How many years difference? Two years difference. Are you are you older or younger? I'm the younger. I'm the I'm the absolute. I'm the last of the Mohicans. Is what's what he What's he doing? Me. What's he doing? He he lives in Michigan. Um, he works for a grocery store. Okay, so right, just okay. regular cat doing right, regular right. stuff. You know. I got you. He's a good guy. All right. He's a good guy. He's actually the reason that I came to Japan because he studied in Japan first. So when we were in college, um, he I was really into taekwondo. He was really into kendo. And then he was also into anime and manga and stuff. So he came to Japan as an exchange student. And then I came here largely out of curiosity because I wanted to see why he liked Japan so much. Okay. But I was actually in Korea because I was focused on Taekwondo. Oh, you mean while he was in Japan, you were here in Korea? Yeah. yeah, so he went to Japan, I went to Korea. At the same time, basically? At the same time. What year was that? So that was, I think, 99 to 2001. Okay. So then I came to Japan to visit him and then also to kind of just see why what it was that he liked about Japan so much because living in Korea the things that you hear about Japan are very different of course you know of mean? course there's a lot of animosity there exactly there's there's history there's right. a little bit of beef right. and stuff yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know my because from my perspective of being in Korea the pers I had a feeling that the perspective that I was getting on Japan wasn't necessarily it was objective. very biased exactly right. very biased so I thought all right well you know if I think it's important to have a biased perspective let me go see Japan myself and mm -hmm. see what people are like and then I came here, and then I found that culturally this place actually fits me very, very well. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't expect that in 
the least. But the yeah. whole idea of being able to like, you know, the importance of being able to read people's energy and, right, yeah. and um, you know, the importance of the attention to detail and the emphasis on like the creation of quality, mm -hmm. right? They're so obsessed with like quality, quality, quality. Like I'm that way myself. Yeah. So exactly. in that respect, like when I came here, I just fit. Right. Even though I didn't speak the language or anything like that. Right. So, so you've been here for how long now? I've been here almost 20 years. Wait, you came in when? 2001? I originally came to Asia in 1999. Right, that was Korea. Yeah, and then I was bouncing back and forth to Korea. Then I was in Hong Kong for about six months. And then I came here immediately after that. So yeah, about 2001. So yeah, exactly 20, 20 years. years. Yeah. And your wife's Japanese? Yeah, my wife's Japanese. Right. And your son's six years old now? Yeah, he's six. Yeah, see, I'm going to do a little checking up on you. Yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> he's six. six. What's his name? His name's Taiga. Taiga. Yeah. Why'd you name him? Oh, Taiga. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to ask why. I, it's because the kanji, That's it nice. means, it means, uh, the kanji we chose means bigger self. Bigger self. Yeah, like dai and ware. Right. Yeah. So it's about um, rising above the needs of material things and mm -hmm. just being a bigger person than you mm -hmm. are. And I just love the kanji. Right. And I think Thai, it just, it just sounds, sounds American, Thai, sounds kind of yeah. strong. Sounds yeah. kind of black, <laughs> you know. So I just thought, all right, yeah. I just, I just love. Let it. Let me ask. Know. Going back to when you said you had the cultural shock and you went into an area that wasn't black any longer. Yeah. When did you start feeling this happens too? Uh huh. How? When did you start having different feelings about the area you came from? Oh yeah, that's and, and you, and all of a sudden you had because you had to, I'm sure, assimilate, yeah. even function in that new environment. Yeah. That assimilation automatically makes you look odd. Where you came from. Yeah. So when, when, how were you when that started to happen? Yeah, that was, I spent, after I moved to Okemos, I spent about a year or two really, really trying to learn how to fit in. You know, because I mean, like, I talked like somebody that was from Detroit. <laughs> you know? Of course, of course. You know what I mean? So, right. like, like changing the way that I Detroit talk. can understand you. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> so, changing the way that I talk and changing the slang I use and changing That's how I dress exactly. and changing the hobbies that I was, I was just trying to fit in, right? Right. And then there, and then there was this thing where, like, you know, then my pops was all like, yeah, it seems like he's kind of losing his identity, you know? So then, of course, he put me in a summer program, like... Right back, back there. Yeah, right back in the hood. But that, at that time, I was totally like a little suburban what? kid, right? And I'm just like, oh, my God. Right? <laughs> yeah, so then there, there, then there was that, you know? And then I felt like the odd man out because I was, you know, walk, talking, and acting like a little suburban exactly, kid. And exactly. I was, you know, I was back being surrounded by black folks again, right? So it was just kind of a thing. But... How old were you when, that, when you started that, to really I, tell, when you said... I'm starting to like the suburban lifestyle. Yeah. When that happened, you said, <laughs> I understand I came from this, and mm -hmm. give me if I'm wrong, if I'm mm -hmm. wrong about the feelings. I understand how it feels to be there, but I'm not there. Mm. And I don't have to be there. Yeah. I like this. Mm. I like where it's nice and clean and neat. Nobody's stealing people's shoes, and, yeah. and, and no one's aggressive. They don't have to be. Yeah. And if they are aggressive, it's only verbal. I think the thing, that, the thing that, that, that first blew my mind was that there was just like nature. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cause, cause, yeah, because there, like, there was like frogs. Like I remember the first time I saw a frog and I was like, oh my God, it's a frog. It's like a frog. a frog was like a TV thing. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Wait, wait, you don't really see frogs. Yeah, yeah, you Detroit, yeah. yeah, you don't see frogs in Detroit, right? So, I mean, just like little things like, like that. More so than, than even the suburbs. It's just the fact that there was just, there was just nature. And like you didn't have to worry about somebody stealing your bike if you left it outside for five minutes. You know what I mean? Of course, I mean, people still do, but it's not, mm -hmm. as, not as quickly. Right. No, you leave it on the street for, 
on the street in Detroit for like three minutes, it's gone, right? right. At least like in the suburbs, right. you got like 10 minutes. Right. Well, in Detroit, <laughs> you could be on the bike and they just come and take your stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, and truth be told, where I came from in Detroit was not the worst part of Detroit. I got you. you, but, you but you knew where that was. Yeah, I knew. It wasn't that. hard to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm, I'm absolutely always counting my blessings, you know, because I mean, I got friends from other parts of Detroit that had it way harder than mm -hmm, I did, mm -hmm. you know, but you just, like I said, it's just about the differences that you notice, mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that like, what I came to realize is that basically, you know, you have these people over here that think, operate and do things this way. You have these people over here that think, operate and do things this way. And then you go to one place in Asia and it's completely different. You go to another place in Asia and it's completely different. Mm -hmm. So after a while, what ended up happening is I got obsessed with traveling because I wanted to know what the underlying pattern to all of this was. Okay. You know, like what, what exactly are the underlying patterns to effective human communication? Okay, what are you they? know, um, humility is a big one. All right. Literally everyone around the world respects humble people. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, always. Another one is reciprocation. Okay. You and know, what, like, like how? Me. Meaning, like, if you do something for somebody, and then they do something back, or, or somebody does equal, something equal. Yeah, Very somebody equal. does something for you, and then you don't forget it, and you do something back without them asking. You know what I mean? Just like little things like that, man. Um, okay. Another thing, I think, one of the strongest things that I ever discovered was in Korea. There's a cultural concept of jung. It's called jung. Okay. And what it is, is it's this idea that if you see that someone has a need, mm -hmm. you don't ask them, you just take care of it because that's the right thing to do. You don't even ask them, oh. you just take care of it. And then everybody in Korea does that for everyone else. So like if you, you see someone and you know that he happens, he can't pay his gas bill. Yeah. And you happen to find that out. Yeah. Then you, you just, take care you of it. You just kind of take care of it for him. You know, and everybody does that for everybody else. I like that. And then once I got that concept, and then I started applying that to, to everywhere I went, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then basically one of the things I discovered is that like when you do that, people will always reciprocate. Like you do, t you take care of something for somebody, and then when they notice that you need something, then they They're take right care there. of something for you. Right? And if you have just this huge network of people that are doing that for for each other, right. then you start to see amazing things getting done. That's right. Plan for my son as well. He's at an, a regular Japanese hoikuen, and I plan on him going through elementary school mm -hmm. within a Japanese school, and then switching to international. Now I know this is school. kind of personal. You think about having more? That's a good question. Okay, that's you a good want, question. You want to leave so. it at that? <laughs> no, I mean there, there's there's I've got I mean, in one respect, like I look at my son and I wish he had somebody to play with because I could tell he wants somebody to play with. You know what I mean? And like seeing your kid being lonely is just, it kills you. You know what I mean? It kills you. And it was always like, daddy, let's play, daddy, let's play. But I just like, I got two businesses to run. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not sleeping, you know? So I just can't be there, you know? And I just want him to have someone to play with. What about your wife? Is she thinking the same or what? Yes, but at the same time, you know, both of the businesses that I have, they're still very small. Okay. So, and I think when I look at everything across the board, like economically, and the fact that I really want him to go to international school, mm -hmm. I feel like I couldn't do that for two kids. You know, mm -hmm. like I can, I see. you know, and like in my case, because I was the youngest of six, I felt like by the time I came around, you know, my folks already had, a lot of their resources were just kind of gone. You know what I mean? And like, for example, you know, nobody, nobody ever tried to get me into any musical instruments or tried to get me into any sports or anything because they're like, oh, 
Yeah, and they're like, well, you know, none of your br older brothers and sisters took the stuff, so we just thought you wouldn't either. You know, but then I found Taekwondo on my own, and I was a national champion, or a, right. a, a state champion within two and a half years. That's right, that's right. Went you know, Olympic so, TM. yeah, and like, I would have loved to have gotten into music and have done all these things, but they're just like, well, we tried on your older sister, brothers and sisters, and it didn't work, so right. we just didn't bother with you. you but know? you know what, I find stuff that, no matter what you come, because I'm a little bit older than you now, and I, mm -hmm. and I look at my life and stuff. If it hadn't have been this way, you wouldn't be the way you are now. That's very true. Isn't that interesting? That is very true. So I never regret that. Now I used to. Yeah. And you know what? I think you're going off of that point. One thing that somebody had told me, because I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I was like, and I was telling them how, like, yeah, with my folks, they're all like, yeah, we're not gonna worry about Chuck, because Chuck will be fine. Chuck will figure it out. Chuck mm -hmm. will figure it out. And I'm like, I wish they would have introduced me to something. But then the person I was talking to was like, yeah, but you did figure it out, didn't you? Isn't that something? Look at where you're at. You're a national champion in Taekwondo. You're running two businesses. I think you figured it out just fine, bro. See what I'm saying? They didn't have to introduce. They were they were right. They didn't have to introduce you to anything. You just figured it out. And so, they said one thing to you. There's yeah. something that we do to kids, and sometimes we don't realize it. That's why I wish more people learned how to parent. Yeah. Not everybody should have kids. I completely agree. Not everybody. See, you, you know why you can agree? Because you're working with kids and parents. Agree. And like, I, I mean, when I look at my folks now, they were not perfect people. They did the you know, best they could do. But they did they the did, very best that they could. And they believed what they were doing. They did the best they felt they could do at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's just when I look back, like I said, I'm, I, it, I wish, I always wish they were still here yeah. because I'm still just trying to figure things out. Yeah. And like, yeah. But at the same time, like I said, I've, I feel really blessed, man. Like yeah. I was really lucky to come from a two-parent household. And a two-parent household where the parents actually liked each other. Because yeah, you, you have the two-parent household, but like they, they just hate don't each other. Yeah, you right? wish they get apart, right? Exactly, right? But I had one where my parents actually, you know, liked each other. Yeah. And did things they enjoyed doing. Yeah. Yeah, and when they were, I mean, and when we were coming up, you know, they had, they, they had their rocky times, of you know what I mean, because they, life. it's called life, exactly, you know, especially when we were trying to get out of Detroit and then try to get into a suburb, you know, I mean, they, they declared bankruptcy a few times, which, you listen, know, let me tell you what, I told someone close to my family once, they said, you know, I might go bankrupt, I said, bam, t really, mm -hmm. and then I said, guess what, one thing you're going to find out, it doesn't kill you, exactly, you don't die, exactly, and guess what, then you now you know what not to do. Yeah. Now you know what not to do. Fantastic. Some people end up in mediocrity their whole life because they're afraid of failing and they don't learn anything. They learn how to stay mediocre. Mm. That's one of the things I learned from fighting is that after you get punched in the face... <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> you start... You start uh, maybe, this, maybe this works. Maybe exactly, this works. right? And like you realize, all right, getting punched in the face isn't going to kill me. It's just, right. it's just very, very uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's not going to kill me. Right. I, I could end up talking and talking and talking to you, but it's just a time restraint right now. I hate to say that. Because mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's going on. We're going to have to do this again. I think sure. so. Listen, what would you like to end with on this podcast? What would you like to end with? What would you like to share with people? And I know that you do have classes, so you could talk about that as well. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that. That's a large question. It's a large question. Um, well, what do you aspire to? The next ten years, what do you aspire to? How would your life be? What will Chuck Johnson look like ten years from now? Basically, I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's interesting because, I think, oftentimes, like when you love your parents, you kind of aspire after them. You know, like even like not even necessarily by design, but you just kind of follow in their footsteps in, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, like I said, near the end of his days, my father was was he was uh, he was an activist and he was all about like 
he created, after he got prostate cancer, he created a Michigan-wide prostate cancer awareness program. But his, I mean, his, the program that he launched, you know, if you look at, like, and I was speaking to another friend who's a doctor, and he was saying, if you look at the rates of prostate cancer um, diagnosis, and then prostate cancer survivors, it's pretty much the same all across the country except in Michigan. And that was completely because of the work of my dad, from what they told me. He said he saved hundreds of people. You know, and what and one of the things that I've come to realize, you know, the more right now I'm I'm you know doing a uh, a course on lower back disorders because because I'm really focused on on back issues because I had back issues myself as an mm-hmm. athlete um, and as a parent, you know. Uh, and one of the things that I'm I'm really focused on is I think. I'm onto something as a system that can make a very, very big difference in a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of like with this, you know, lower back program that I'm making. Mm-hmm. Like I would like to see this become what I think it can become. And that's one that's one journey that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Another journey is with my my main business, which is Quiet Flame Productions, right. which is Basically, it's an actor's it's an actor's training studio, but it's also a martial arts school. Mm-hmm. Started off as a martial arts school that eventually had like a fight choreography class that just turned into an entire actor's training mm-hmm. academy. Mm-hmm. You know, and what can um, people find out about Quiet Flame? No, just quietflame.org. And then they'll find out all they want to know. Yeah. more than they want to know. Everything that they want to. Okay, know. what about the other? Thing, the lower back. You haven't finished that yet. You haven't put that out there. That's something that I'm already working on. I'm already doing a program for Toyota. Are you looking for? Oh, you're doing one with Toyota. Yep. yep. I've been working with Toyota for about um, maybe eight months, eight or nine months now. Okay. They've been really, really happy. So okay. um, I'm also I've done some things with uh, with the Legacy Foundation that's no. run through Soul Food and Azabu okay. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yes, yes, Latanya, yes, Latanya's yeah, Latanya, joint. She's sweet as she can be. Latanya is one and of the most amazing yeah, people I've ever met. Did, yeah. So. Um, you know, I've also done a program here at TAC, and we've got another one coming up soon. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, and it's, it's, it's getting there, and it's one of those things where people, they need to do it to understand why mm-hmm. they need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's going with that, and then what I'm doing with Quiet Flame is um, basically, I think, you know, as because I'm very much into film, I think there's a lot of amazing opportunities to do great things for people in film. Mm-hmm. Largely because, if, for example, if you watch documentaries, there's a lot of documentaries about social issues. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is that you have to be into the issue in order to watch the documentary. You've got to be interested in it, right? But you know, what I would like to do with Quiet Flame is to use, because I come from an action background because of martial arts, right? So I would like to be able to use action cinema as a vehicle for raising awareness of social issues, mm-hmm. right? So we, we make we make super dope action movies that just happen to be to revolve around very relevant social, social issues, you know, That's and then if possible, tie them in with charities and all these mm-hmm. kinds of things mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So those those two things are kind of my big missions right now, right. and I'm moving towards producing our first film next year, mm-hmm. which revolves around sex trafficking. I've been oh, wow. um, working on this project for seven years now um, and um, you know I'm, I'm hoping that we can get this film off the ground by next year mm-hmm. so this is I think the ninth draft of the script and um, I've just got a rock star team that's wonderful you know and now we're just going to be looking for funding and mm-hmm. to just make it happen mm-hmm. 
I wish you all the best, Chuck. Well, thank you. And sir. let me know if there's anything you think I can help you with. Yeah. Let me know. Everybody likes to get on a wagon that's going somewhere. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again for being a part of this podcast. And let's make this, let's do this a couple more times. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know the time was really, really short today, yeah, you know, and that was, that was, that was, you know. No, 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 no cause of anything other than okay. happenstance. Yeah, okay. All right. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to watch this podcast. Remember, you're too blessed to be stressed. Keep reaching for the stars, and it's all on the moon.